Good morning. Well, good afternoon anyway. Listen, we, re- we really love First Street School. I think uh, some really powerful things are happening there already. And I'm going to be really interested to see kind of what that looks like over the next, um, let's say, five, six years. That's a fledgling little relationship we have with this little school. And I think God's going to do some mighty things there. And uh, I just look forward to kind of seeing what that uh, relationship is going to look like in the, in the coming years. Hey, as, uh, as, as we begin here um, this morning, I uh, want to first apologize. I know you can't wear white after uh, Labor Day. So uh, sorry about that fashion folks. Although uh, it feels like August outside, so I got that going in my favor. And I know the, the guy who's normally up here wears a tie and all that kind of stuff. So anyway, not, not going there. Uh, but, uh, and you'll notice you don't have any sermon notes. Um, I'll get to reason why, but uh, the main reason why is because I know that there's going to be so many of you that just want to take a ton of notes this morning, and I felt like you needed more space for that, and so I wanted to make sure you, you know, had plenty of room to doodle or whatever you do. I don't know, but uh, anyway, here's the real reason why I uh, don't have sermon notes for you this morning. Uh, Lance is off uh, being the keynote speaker for a family camp for... Um, uh, Creekside Church of Merced, and uh, they're up at Sugar Pine, and he's uh, doing their family camp for them. It's a commitment he made some some 18 months ago to go and and do that, and so he's fulfilling that commitment with them. And uh, even though he made that commitment 18 months ago, I found out I was preaching on um, Wednesday um, <laughs> afternoon. Uh, and it wasn't even necessarily that I found out Wednesday afternoon that I was preaching. It was that I had known that he had approached about six other guys to come and preach, and and then he asked me, and I'm like, all right, you know, I, I get that. Um, no, I love filling in whenever I can, and, uh, and the reason he didn't ask me is he's trying to, trying to save me from other stuff i got to be doing and all that kind of stuff. So I understand that. And uh, I think what maybe points out is just, you know, Lance and I have a great working relationship. Uh, you know, I've been on staff for seven years, and we've been in ministry together for about, you know, 11 or 12 now. And um, we have a great working relationship, and I think it's founded on the fact that we're just two different guys. And we really understand each other. He knows that, uh, you know, he's not me, and, and, and I'm not him. And, you know, he's got this great, you know, speech gift and, and, and I'm not really him. And, and so he can, he can go off and he can preach at, you know, all these different churches around town and around the area and everything. And I think that's great. We get to share them and everything. And, and I can stay here and, and, and be loyal. Um, um, no, we love him. I'm glad we can share him with other uh, parts of the community, other people in the, uh, uh, in the body of Christ. I think it's a, he's a real encouragement to others, and I'm glad he feels that he can go away and do that. Uh, this morning, we're not going to take a look at uh, the book of Revelation. We're going to take a little hiatus from that. Uh, I felt a couple of reasons why. Number one, um, I want to talk about an issue that's really, really prevalent in our church and in our society, but also uh, the guys taught, what, 27 of the 29 parts of uh, the book of Revelation, and here we are in chapter 19. Uh, it is like the pinnacle of the entire book, and uh, I don't want to steal that that from him, although it would be fun. Uh, I decided that I would not do that, and so he'll be up here next weekend delivering that. But um, I felt like we wanted to go a little bit topical this morning, and not our normal approach to Scripture, although it's not bad or, or anything. We just feel like, you know, for the most part, we want to take a very expository approach, approach to Scripture. We want to go chapter by chapter, verse by verse. That wants to be our, our normal mode. But I felt like this morning we'd take a little bit of a, a topical approach and, uh, and talk about the topic of fear. And 
I know that sounds, sounds scary right off from the bat, doesn't it? I mean, but ultimately, I think this is going to be an encouragement because I think once we understand our fear and understand kind of who God is a little better, I think we have some better tools to kind of work with and understand our fear a little bit better. And so even though we're going to be topical this morning, you're definitely going to need a Bible this morning. And so if you would, just go ahead and raise your hand. If you do not have one, we'll bring you one of the Bridgeway uh, Bibles, and you can use that here this morning. And I just keep your hand raised, and we'll bring one right to, uh, right to where you are. You know, fear is, a, is an interesting uh, and, and tragic thing that, that's, that's pervasive in our, in our society and in our culture. And we're uh, a very, very fearful people. And um, these fears are very, very real. Uh, they're, they're very um, phenomenal concerns that, that we have. And, you know, but the number one prescribed drug in America today uh, has nothing to do with pain uh, management. It has nothing to do with birth control. Uh, it's not even Cialis, despite its advertising on like every single thing I watch. Um, you know, it's not even that magic little pill that allows, you know, couples to sit in twin bathtubs in an open field. Um, you know, interesting marketing there. I don't know that I have that all figured out. Um, <laughs> but it's for anxiety. It's for panic disorders and um, it, it's really, really prevalent. In fact, um, prescription meds for, for anxiety and panic started back in 1955. There was a drug called, um, called Milltown because it was manufactured in Milltown, New Jersey, and it was really, really effective. And it was also massively addictive. <laughs> and, um, uh, and so it became known as Mother's Little Helper. That's what, that was the moniker that it was given, Mother's Little Helper. And I'm sure that it was. Uh, in fact, before 1955, there was another drug that was used for panic. Uh, it was called uh, alcohol. And um, <laughs> it was just, you know, it was, but it, it speaks to the fact that, that something significant has been happening in our society and culture over the last um, 40 or 50 years. In fact, today, 18% of Americans, some 40 million Americans have been diagnosed with some level of panic disorder or some sort of anxiety that they've been, uh, that, that they face day to day. And the reality is that we all do. We all face that. We all have different ways of, of managing those fears. And yet some, some of us uh, have found medication to be a very profitable thing. And these are very real. They're very significant. Every single one of us carries it. And so what I make sure that we understand from the very beginning here as we engage with this topic of fear is that I'm not talking, uh, I'm not trying to make a statement that medications are bad. Uh, I want us to say that, look, we live in a fallen world and, and these medications are frankly necessary. Um, there's some in the Christian subculture that would say, um, you're a Christian for crying out loud, you don't need medications, what are you doing that for? Okay, I'm not, please, I'm not saying that. I think medications can be a very good thing but I think we, we want to understand our fear from a different platform, from a different perspective, uh, understanding that if we understand our fear in light of who God is, I think we're given some extra uh, phenomenal tools to understand how to, how to manage that fear. I think if we really understand how great God is and, and how much he really cares for us, that we can engage with our world, our, our day-to-day world around us in a much more healthy uh, and I think um, profitable way. I think if we believe and, and, and know that, that God is uh, omnipotent, that, that God is a big, hairy theological term for all-powerful, if we understand that God really does have all the power in the world and that he is all-powerful, um, we can understand our fears a lot better. And if we understand that he's omnipresent, that he has this, this knack of somehow being simultaneously present in the entirety of his creation, and that he never leaves us and he never forsakes us, uh, what a different perspective is that that allows us to look uh, at our fear? 
And, and what if we really recognized and, and, and hid in our hearts that God is omniscient, that, that he's all-knowing, that, that he knows what the days ahead hold for us? Some of us, our fears are just going, I don't know what tomorrow's going to be like, and, and that's scary. Um, understandable. Um, but we worship a God who does know, who cares a ton for us, and is going to lead us through it. Um, what if we really hid in our hearts that we understand that God is immutable, that, that God is unchangeable. He's the same God today, yesterday, today, and forever. That we don't wake up in the morning and go, God, I hope you're in a good mood. Um, that's not the type of God that we, we, we worship. We know, we know where God uh, is and where he uh, thinks, and we know, his, his, we know from Scripture uh, a ton about him. If we hide those things in our hearts, I think we have a lot more tools to engage with our fear. The world, I think, does a really, really good job identifying fear as a major problem. Uh, I think it's identified in, in the music we listen to. You know, uh, the Lion King tells us Hakuna Matata, uh, you know, no worries. Uh, but it seems to offer really no real solution. It, you know, it just says, well, you know, kind of get over it. You'll be okay, you know. And um, the great theologian, Bob Marley, uh, you know, he has a song that says... Uh, I'm going to pay for that later. Uh, don't worry about a thing because everything's going to be all right. Um, Bobby McFerrin, don't worry, be happy. I mean, it's great advice, except it really doesn't offer a real solution other than say, you can do it, you know, and uh, it'll be okay, get over it, you know. Um, I think Scripture offers us an awful lot more than that. I think Scripture does a great job of identifying the problem. We're going to see that Scripture talks to the topic of fear significantly and often. And when it does, it's almost as God is saying, the solution, I'm the solution. Trust me. Know me. Know that I am all-powerful. Know that I go before you. All those things. We're going to look at that here uh, this morning. But we're a, we're a fearful people. And as often as, as Scripture talks about, about fear, it talks continuously about people being sheep. <laughs> uh, we're called sheep often, often in Scripture, and um, we know a lot about sheep. They're, they're really not the most robust animal. Um, we know that they're um, very scared, and uh, they don't have a lot of defenses. In fact, as I did a little bit of research, there was a, a Webster's Dictionary definition. It wasn't the first definition at the very top, but it was kind of you know definition number two or three, but it says, uh, a timid, defenseless creature. Um, the first two words that describe you are timid and defenseless. And so I think when Scripture uses that, that, that imagery of, of people being like sheep, uh, I, think it's being, I think it's being kind, but not necessarily complimentary uh, in its description. Um, sheep are very interesting. There's a, there's a breed of sheep called myotonic sheep or myotonic goats. And um, they're really interesting in the fact that they've been bred to like improve the quality of their wool, and they have really, really high-quality wool. However, through the breeding process, it's created a bit of a neurological problem. And what happens is when these sheep get um, really, really scared, everything within them, everything within their fiber wants to run, and yet the brain sends the wrong message to the legs, and they become temporarily paralyzed, and they just fall over. Um, I don't know if you feel like that on occasion, like, you know, I'm like, I'm scared and I want to run, but I'm just falling over and the wolves are eating me now. Um, the, the video, there's a YouTube video that kind of shows these sheep and the, and the rancher gathers about 25 sheep around him and he has an umbrella and all he does is open the umbrella and every sheep just goes, you know, they just all completely fall over. Um, they really have no defense mechanism. Even running is not good for them. Um, you know, I, I've felt like that before. 
Uh, we've used this example before as far as trying to describe and understand uh, uh, sheep, but back in 2005, there were 450 sheep that kind of jumped off a, a cliff and they all, uh, they all died. The, uh, the AP reported that in 2005. I thought it was funny even the way that it was written. Uh, the AP said, uh, first one sheep jumped to its death, then stunned Turkish uh, shepherds who had left the herd to graze while they had breakfast watched as nearly 1,500 others followed, each leaping off the same cliff. In the end, 450 dead animals lay on top of one another in a billowy white pile. Those who jumped later were saved as the pile got higher and the fall more cushioned. Uh, you can imagine these guys know everything there is to know about sheep. And I imagine they're having their breakfast and they're, you know, they watch this one sheep go over the top of the cliff and fall, you know, you know, they go, oh, yeah, 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 sheep do that on occasion. You know, they're kind of stupid animals. And then I can imagine their horrors. They watch 1,499 more come over the cliff. And they're going, oh, we're having a horrible day. In fact, um, there was a follow-up story to this about a year later that talked about the, uh, the economic impact that this actually had upon uh, that, uh, that culture and the, those, few, uh, those few shepherds. It was devastating. Uh, and yet it was all because animals are, are dumb and scared and do silly things. Uh, our fears aren't necessarily silly and dumb. They're very, like I want to say, they're, they're very real. They're very deep-seated and, and well-founded, and some of them are very, very legitimate. Um, maybe your fear is terrorism. Uh, we live in this crazy post-9-11 world. Maybe you've noticed it's a little difficult to manage your way through the airport these days. Uh, I remember about a year ago, uh, my family was flying back from Houston, and uh, we were visiting family out there. I'd gone out there to do a wedding for, uh, for, my, uh, for my niece, and as, I, as we're coming back, I mean, my whole family, we go through to the TSA and we're, we're thinking we're just marching through the normal deal and we get pulled aside on one of those random, you know, uh, additional TSA searches. And so they like rifle through all of our bags and kind of repack them, not as neat. Uh, and then, you know, they also kind of pat you down. They go, okay, you guys are good. And so we go to our plane, we're waiting at the gate forever. And then we go to get on the plane and then we're in the jetway. TSA is standing there and they pull us aside again and pat us down and go through our luggage again. And uh, I felt like a criminal. I'm going, what is going on? You know, um, not sure what they necessarily saw if I, you know, looked mean or, you know, I don't know what, what the deal is, but, but we got pulled aside twice. And I thought, you know, it's, it, it, this is necessary, but it's, but it's driven by fear. I mean, it's a good thing, but it's, but it, but it's a fear that's causing all of this. And, and granted, no new attacks have, atter- have occurred, but every day, we wake up and, and at a very minimum, we've got a, a latent stress that has invaded our hearts and minds. And we may not think about it the first moment that we get up, but somewhere within our, within our hearts and our minds, we're, we're thinking about um, terrorism. We're thinking about what, what could happen. Uh, maybe your fear is just, you know, about the economy. I know a lot of people are looking for jobs. Some of you guys have been looking for, you know, for a long time. Uh, and it's maddening and stressful, and we're fearful about what you know tomorrow may hold, and how we're going to pay the bills, and where's that all going to come from? You know, and even if you have a good job right now, you may go. You know, I normally would probably be out looking for another job, um, but I don't want to do that now, and I think I'll just sit here and be miserable. <laughs> um, you know, it's, the whole economy has just has left us all with with fewer options. We have you know fewer options before us, and it's. It's stressful and it causes us some fear. Um, you may have noticed that even in the, in the paper as it talks about the economy as a, as a whole, nationally, um, the economy looks like to be, it, it's kind of on a recovery and, and there's some you know, pretty profound things that have been said about, yeah, the recession's over and we're heading in the right direction. And, and yet the Sacramento Business Journal this week reports uh, not much happening around here and probably not expecting any real recovery until 2011 sometime. Uh, not the news that we're necessarily uh, looking for. You know, and maybe you're here this morning, you're just thinking, you know what, I'm, I'm fearful about my marriage. 
I'm concerned about divorce. I know it's not honoring to the Lord. I'm, I'm completely freaked out and I'm, I'm completely devastated. Um, and maybe you're hearing you going, my marriage is great, but I'm just, you know, I worry about maybe becoming a statistic someday. I feel like the world's against me just even in my, you know, in my marriage. And things are great, but it doesn't seem like the world wants it to succeed. And what will I do? Um, maybe your fear is just, you know, even much more simple than that. Maybe it's just, you know, I fear, I fear being rejected. You know, I walk through life and I just go, I just want people to like me. I just want them to have the same perception as I look at myself and I want people to know that I'm, I'm a good person. Uh, I don't want to be rejected in life. Uh, maybe you worry that, you know, your kids, you know, you wonder, are, you my, are my kids going to be okay? You know, we worry about our kids and, and I know parenting is, is incredibly tough and incredibly difficult. And, you know, I know we have, you know, really bad days and you just go, you know, son number three, that one may end up in jail someday. And, uh, you know, we have these crazy, sometimes unfounded thoughts about our, you know, about our kids. And, you know, maybe we just wonder, well, gosh, I, I hope they take care of me when I'm older. <laughs> you know, maybe that's the only concern that we have. But, you know, we're racked with fear about our kids because we love them so much and we care so much for them. Um, I don't know, maybe you're pregnant and you're concerned that you might be the next woman to deliver a 19-pound baby like the one in Indonesia this week. Um, <laughs> the kid was enormous. You know, I don't know if it took bolt cutters to cut the umbilical cord or what, but that was a big kid. Um, you know, <laughs> I mean, we're wracked with all sorts of fears, all sorts of stuff across the, you know, across the spectrum. Some of them are well-founded. Some of them are completely irrational. But I believe this. I believe that all sin is, stems from the root of fear. All sin kind of comes from this root of fear. Even if you back up all the way to the Garden of Eden, right? Uh, we see Adam and Eve, and what's the first thing they do? They hide from each other. They, they go and make clothes for themselves uh, out of fig leaves. They hide from each other. Uh, a relationship that was never meant to be scary. They were never meant to kind of hide from each other. And yet, even worse, uh, they hide from the Lord, right? It says the Lord was walking through the garden in the cool of the day, being completely omniscient, knowing everything, asked the question, where are you? And they're hiding. They're hiding from the Lord. Again, a relationship that was never intended to be scary. It was intended to be a very significant, deep, uh, intimate uh, relationship. And yet sin and kind of emboldened by, by fear and spawned on by deception. Uh, and we have the greatest tragedy in history. Uh, all because of, uh, because of fear. And so fear is a really powerful force in our world today. And, uh, but I want us to look at Scripture this morning and understand that fear does not come from God. Fear does not come from God. In fact, if you have your Bibles, uh, in the blue Bible, it would be page 842. Uh, in your Bible, it is 2 Timothy 1.7. 2 Timothy 1.7, uh, page 842 in the blue Bible. But I want us to realize that fear never does come from God. In fact, uh, this particular verse draws this amazing contrast between who God is and what fear looks like. It just draws the line right down the middle and says these two things could not be further apart. It says in 2 Timothy 1.7, it says, For God did not give us a spirit of timidity or fear, but a spirit of power, of love, and self-discipline. And so we see, we, see, we see God's spirit. We see this gift that, that God gives us and says it's not, of, it's not of fear. You see, the things of God are, are, are things of immeasurable, unending power, expansive and, and deep love and, and reason and, and self-control. These are the things of, of God. Fear, on the other hand, if we, if we, we can definitely deduce that fear is just the opposite, that, that fear is not power, but it's weak. And, and fear is not love, but it's, but it's frankly, it's evil by its very nature. And fear doesn't grant us self-control, but it creates chaos. We feel that. We live that, every, that chaos every day. 
And so I don't know if you write in your Bible or not. I write in mine. Uh, if you have one of the blue Bibles, you can write in it, but it's yours. You can take it with you if you do. Uh, but in my Bible, what I do is I kind of, you know, I got two margins on each side. And on one side, I wrote God. And underneath God, I wrote power, love, and self-control right next to that verse. And then on the other side, I wrote fear. And underneath fear, I wrote weak, evil, and chaos. Drawing a big dichotomy between the two. Big difference. Definitely being contrasted. Uh, Fear does not come from God. In fact, further proof that fear is not from God is seen in Revelation. Uh, We're going to look at Revelation uh, 21.8, page 878. Uh, in the Blue Bible, uh, Revelation 21.8. And we're going to look at this verse actually more distinctly, uh, more succinctly in the coming weeks when Lance, uh, when Lance gets there here in a couple of weeks. But it's important to look at this scripture because we realize that, that fear isn't even a characteristic of the believer the way that God sees it. Fear isn't even a characteristic that should belong to believers at all. Uh, it says here in, in verse, verse 8, um, chapter 21, it says, but the cowardly, the unbelieving... The vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice the magic arts, the idolaters, the liars. You kind of see the company here that, that fear keeps. It says, They will be consigned to the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. Now you can share that verse with your friends later today. I'm sure you'll be a real hit. Uh, but it's a harsh, it's a harsh, harsh verse. And, it, and I think it's intentionally so because it's drawing this, this harsh contrast between the things of God and the things that are not of God. And specifically, he's talking about people, and he's saying God's people are not to be cowardly. In fact, furthermore, in 1 John, if you would go and turn a few pages back to 1 John, page 863, we're going to look at 1 John 4, 7, and 8. But 1 John creates this argument from the very beginning, pointing out that, that God is love, that, that God isn't just, um, isn't just loving. It's not just something that he does. But by his very nature, who he is, God is love. And so he makes this argument. He says in verse 7, he says, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves and has been born of God and knows God. And whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. And then after making that statement in verse 18, he goes on to say, There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. Again, it's uncharacteristic of the believer. If we are to be godly, if we are to be Christ-like in our nature, if we are to understand that, that God is love, it's not just something that he does, but it's something who he is, and that fear has to do with punishment, that's not what God's about. And so we see very clearly that as God is love, that is not what we are to exhibit. That's not who we are supposed to be. However, there, there is one healthy fear uh, that we are to carry with us every day and every moment. Uh, we talked about it last week just in passing, but it is the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is the one fear that we are supposed to carry with us. And, and last week we kind of touched on it. Lance touched on it a little bit. And we kind of defined it as utter, utter respect and, and incredible awe. Uh, because we engage with a God who's, who's holy and we're not. Because God's big and enormous and we just come into a moment where we're going, God, you're amazing. It's not really a, a fearful thing, although we're told to you know, work out our salvation with fear and trembling. Um, it's, it's, it's that, but it's, it's more of just a moment of awe with God. And yet over and over and over in Scripture, we see the fear of the Lord mentioned an awful lot. 
In fact, when the fear of the Lord is mentioned, it says not only it's not only the encouragement to, to fear the Lord, but it's also the encouragement to going to know, and here's why, and here's benefit and blessing that's caused because you've, you've humbled yourself and come and recognized who God is. Um, over and over and over again. In fact, it lays out some really practical things as it describes what the fear of the Lord is. It tells us the benefits of it as well. And so I'm going to read a couple of these. There's lots and lots and lots of them in Scripture. Uh, you can look up more on your own, but just, just listen for a moment see if you can get the, the vibe of what Scripture's saying here. Uh, in Psalm 19, it says, The fear of the Lord is clean and endures forever. In Psalm 111, it says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. In Proverbs 8, it says, The fear of the Lord is hatred of evil. Proverbs 10 says, The fear of the Lord prolongs life. And Proverbs 14 says, In the fear of the Lord, one has strong confidence. You see, there's benefit that comes with fear of the Lord. It says, The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life and that it turns away evil. Even in the book of Acts, it talks about the fear of the Lord. It says, There that the church throughout all of Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up, and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. Again, God honors the fear that we carry of him and for him and says, I bless you because of it, because you've humbled yourself and come before me. But every unhealthy fear will cause you to do very, very irrational things, uh, incredibly irrational things. And I, I don't have all the phobias all kind of figured out. Um, everyone kind of has kind of their one thing that is kind of like their phobia. Uh, mine is um, the fear of heights. Uh, there was a guy in our church here recently that was just uh, um, trained to climb radio towers so he could go up and fix them. Uh, I will be not volunteering for uh, for that duty. In fact, this summer, uh, I volunteered to uh, clean the windows on my house for the first time in nine years. <laughs> and they needed it. Uh, and I did a really good job on the ones downstairs. And then um, I took the ladder in the backyard and I extended the ladder all the way up. And I had the full intention of going up there and cleaning those windows too. And I got about halfway up the ladder with my bucket and turned right around and said, that's why we have professionals. Uh, we will now hire someone for this duty. Uh, I was like, I'm not going up there. I mean, I'm just, I'm, I'm afraid. I uh, don't like heights. Uh, and so the ones upstairs look really, really bad <laughs> still. Um, there's a certain pastor on staff that um, will remain nameless, but his, na- his, uh, his, his name rhymes with Flance Flan. And um, Flance is very uh, fearful of flying, is Flance. And uh, I don't know if you know this about him, but uh, I've only flown with him maybe one time, and we went out to Denver for a seminar, and um, we flown southwest, and it was like 10 stops between here and Denver, and the whole up and down thing was driving him crazy. And, I mean, he was panicked. I mean, he was really, really scared. He was very, very fearful, but, you know, he, he did it. And, but, but that fear kind of relates back to, we know how that one got started. He went to Turkey and Greece, and he was, he was coming home and changed planes in London, and he was sitting right across the aisleway from a guy who proceeded to rock back and forth and chant the whole way to New York, okay? Post 9-11, everybody was kind of watching this guy. Um, he was freaking everybody out, and Lance was like completely panicked. But, but here's where things get a little irrational. Okay? You can understand that piece of you know, the fear of flying. Okay? I get that. But here's the thing. Lance, ha- Flance has, um, uh, <laughs> Flance has no problem flying in a small private aircraft. 
Those are the ones that seem to crash more often. Uh, those are the ones that statistically go down more frequently. Not the big, you know, commercial airliners, although those happen on occasion too. But, but statistically, those are more dangerous. And yet he has no problem jumping in a, a small aircraft to fly somewhere. Um, I had to ask him about it. I go, you got to explain that to me because I just don't understand that. And he laughed and he goes, it's, um, it's a control issue. I went, a control issue? I go, do you somehow think you're going to jump in the cockpit and land this thing or, or what? You know, and he's all, yeah, <laughs> that's exactly what I'm thinking. You know, and I went, wow, I mean, that's just it's so strange. I don't, I don't get that. It's kind of a completely irrational fear, and yet people carry them. Uh, we, we work within them uh, every day. And I don't know how real that is. I mean, I think it may be just Lance's, uh, Lance's uh, you know, idea to kind of say, I want the church to buy me a Gulfstream someday. And um, it's not going to happen. <laughs> uh, but not only will fear cause you to do really irrational things, fear will cause you to do very, very desperate things. Very desperate things. Um, I've prayed about this a lot, and I'm, I want to share a story with you um, that happened last weekend. Uh, here. And um, I do so not to embarrass anybody. I'm leaving all the names out of it, but it's important for you to know. And it helps me describe the level of desperation that fear will cause you to reach to. Uh, last weekend, I had uh, one of our Kidsway volunteers come up to me uh, kind of after the first service and said, you know, I don't know if anybody's turned in a wallet, um, but I'm missing my wallet and I can't find it anywhere. And um, I don't know if I lost it here or if I dropped it at Target. I was there earlier today. I don't know where it is, but I just want to let you know, if you happen to see it, would you let me know? I said, yeah, sure. I mean, I'm like these things always show up. It could be in the sanctuary on a, on a chair, under a chair, you know, whatever. Um, it'll, it'll show up. And she goes, well, great, just let me know. And, um, and then after the service, uh, another person was talking to Jenny, and she comes up to me and says, look, I, I'm missing my wallet. It's, a, it's really special. My husband gave it to me. I never leave the house without it. I know it was in my purse. Um, I really, really think it's been stolen here this morning. And um, it was at that point I got really mad uh, because I knew what had happened. I knew exactly what had happened. Uh, there's been a ladies' man kind of hanging around our church. I don't think she's ever actually come into service ever. Uh, but she's been here on the weekends. She's uh, made a habit of occasionally walking up and down the hallways. If she sees anybody, she'll kind of stop them and ask them for money. Uh, we've even asked, you know, we've even uh, supported her and helped her out from our benevolence fund a couple of times this year. Um, not in a big way, but you know, just more, more of a mercy thing going. We know that things are desperate for you. We'd love to help out a little bit. Um, and so, but I knew um, what had happened. And so I asked Joel... Uh, if he would do something for me. And see, the thing that this lady didn't know is that we have cameras uh, in our church, um, really good ones. And um, we ran back the video, and uh, you'll never imagine what we discovered. About 9.30, uh, our Kidsway uh, staff were taking the kids from the pre-K K room into the community hall to worship. And 30 seconds after they left that classroom, this lady went in there, opened a cabinet, found a purse, took a wallet, put it in her pocket and walked out. The whole thing on tape. And then after uh, the service, about 1.30, all the classrooms are all cleared out. Uh, she went into the walker's classroom. There was a purse up on the, uh, above the cubbies. Uh, she went in there, grabbed the purse, ducked, down, ducked behind the half wall, grabbed a wallet, put it in her, put it in her pocket, and walked out. Um, so we had the whole, both of those instances on, uh, on camera. Proceeded to call the uh, Placer County Sheriff's Department. Uh, they sent uh, a deputy out who I'm fairly convinced is uh, Shaquille O'Neal's white brother. 
Uh, <laughs> the guy was enormous. Um, he goes, well, I've seen, the, I've seen the video. Do you have any information on this lady? Do you have any, you know, and I, do you know who she is? And I went, she filled out a benevolence form back in May. I have her name. I have her phone number. Would you like to give her a call? And he goes, I'd love to give her a call. He called her up. She answered. <laughs> he ripped her apart on the phone. He's like, hey, this is deputy so-and-so. You get one chance. I want the wallets. Uh, you know, if you don't show up, we're putting a warrant out for your arrest and blah, blah, blah. And they met. And he recovered both wallets and um, unfortunately had to uh, arrest her. And she was booked into Placer County on $20,000 bail. Um, you guys, I, he asked me, he turned to me and asked me, he goes, do you want to press charges? And I'm like, my first response was, hey, yeah. You know? And then in my head, and then I'm thinking, wait a minute. I'm, I mean, really, as a pastor, what I'm looking for is more opportunities to explain grace and, and extend mercy. And I go, maybe this is an opportunity to do that. And then, you know, kind of the other side starts coming on. You know, what? we're called to protect the flock too. And I felt like this is a time to protect the flock. So I was like, yeah, we want to we wanna press charges. And so, yeah, she was, she was arrested. And so I, I tell you that story because it, it speaks to the level of desperation. She was, she was absolutely, this, this fear was driving her to do some really desperate things. What we found out later is that she had stopped at Safeway on the way home and made a $32 charge and bought a big birthday cake for her son. And she was arrested in front of her son at her birthday party. Um, I mean, brutal. I mean, harsh situation. But I, I think about that and I think about, you know, are we really all that far from her and where she is? I mean, I'm not saying that, you know, we're going to come in and steal from people while they're at church and, and worshiping, but... I mean, placed in a really desperate situation and you're, and you're racked by fear, it's not going to allow you to make really good, good decisions. And I know we'd like to all sit here and go, yeah, but my integrity is better than that. And, you know, but, oh man, I don't know. I don't know. It's a tough situation. I don't know. But I'm, I'm firmly convinced of this. Fear will cause you to do some really desperate things. Maybe not like that, but it will lead you to a point of desperation. The beautiful thing is that the admonitions that are in Scripture that cause us to understand God better and the admonitions that say, fear not, the admonitions that say, uh, be strong and courageous, um, those admonitions aren't idle. Um, they aren't you know, placed out there like the world places them out there and said, you know, get over it, you'll be okay. They're actually, um, those admonitions are actually immediately followed by some really practical advice. And every time it's like, underst- God's like he's saying, understand me better. Know more of my attributes. Understand that I'm a, I'm a protector. Understand that I'm here to walk beside you. And so I want to look at some of those here uh, as well. But uh, 26 times in the Old Testament, six times in the New, uh, it speaks to these fear nots. And there's lots more than this, but I'm using the fear nots in Scripture to kind of point to uh, a really key thing. And I'm not going to read all 31 of them. 32 of them. Uh, I've got some key ones here. That, but just listen again, kind of get the flavor of what's being pointed out here. Um, In Genesis 15, uh, the Lord speaks to Abram and says, Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. Um, What are you going to fear if you know that God is your shield and and your protector, that that God is is able and and willing to come alongside and shield you and protect you? And the thing about protection and being shielded oftentimes is that we're not even aware of it. I think God does such an amazing job of shielding us and protecting us. We don't even know what may have been out there to harm or hurt us, and yet God was standing there defending us uh, and shielding us from, from, from harm. Um, we worship a God who, who does that and is able to do that. Um, what are we going to fear? 
Um, in Genesis 26, a little later, uh, the Lord appears to Isaac and he says, fear not, I'm with you and will bless you and multiply your offspring for my servant Abraham's sake. Um, I'm with you, God says. I mean, what are you going to fear if you know that you're walking through life and you're operating from a different understanding going, you know what, life's hard and I've got crazy stuff before me and, I, and I'm stressed out about it, but you know what, I'm confidently going forward in that knowing that God's walking beside me through that, that God is omnipresent and that he can be with me and hold my hand through this. Um, that seems to me that we get a whole different perspective, that we operate from a different view and understand our fear better when we understand who God is in the midst of it. Even Exodus, Moses says to the people, he says, Fear not, stand firm, and see that the salvation of the Lord, um, and see the salvation from, of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you will never see again. Uh, what kind of confidence does that give you to know that the Lord is able and willing to, to work on your behalf? To, to, to actually work with you and, and for you and go before you? Isaiah 41.10 says, Fear not, I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Uh, strength, help, to be upheld. Uh, it seems like we should walk through life with far less fear, knowing that these words come from the creator of the universe, the Lord of lords, the king of kings, um, and that they're directed at us. Uh, Daniel 10 uh, the Lord says to Daniel, Fear not, Daniel, from the first day that you set your heart to understand and humbled yourself before your God. That sounds like the fear of the Lord to me. He says, Your words have been heard, and I have come because of your words. Uh, how much confidence does that allow you to have, knowing that God hears your cry, knows the cares and concerns of your heart, and, re and, and is able and willing to respond? Deuteronomy 31 says, Be strong and courageous. Do not fear or be in dread of them, for it's the Lord your God who goes with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. You guys get a feel that God's got our back, that, that he loves us that much, and that if we were to gain that kind of confidence, knowing that, that we have Christ and that we, we know God in this way, and that once we see kind of how, how wonderful and amazing God is, that, um, that he loves us and cares for us more than we're able to, to love and care for ourselves, it allows us to have a completely different perspective. Uh, we look at the world around us differently. And so as I consider God and I look at the attributes of God um, and, and it tells me that, you know what, everything is going to be okay, um, that I don't have to worry. As I look at God who's omniscient and he does know everything, he knows everything that's going to happen before us, uh, he knows our hearts, he knows our fears, and he's able to address them. He's, he's omnipresent. He, he can be in the, the entirety of his, of his creation simultaneously, and he does. He comes alongside, and he walks with us and sees us through some really hairy and fearful stuff. And that he is omnipotent, that he is all-powerful, that he is in control, and that he's immutable, and that he doesn't change. And so you might be here this morning kind of going, okay, I mean, those are big promises, and those are all made to really big dogs in Scripture. I mean, that was good for Moses. That was good for Abraham. That was, you know, that was good for Daniel. But I don't know. I'm not sure I see that in my life. I'm not sure that promise is good for me. And I want to let you know that I, 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 I beg to differ. And I, in fact, not only do I, do I think that that's true and that it is, it is absolutely for us, but I think it's better. I think it's better for us. If you turn in your Bibles to, to Romans 8.14, it's page 800. Uh, last scripture we're going to look at this morning, page 800 in, uh, in the Blue Bible. 
But again, it's another verse that speaks very clearly to what fear is and who God is and who we are in God. Romans 8.14 tells us, uh, Because those of you who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received a spirit of sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. It says there very clearly, fear is slavery. Fear is slavery. And so if it's slavery, it's not from God. In fact, it goes on to say that it's slavery and we shouldn't look at fear um, that way, but we should understand more clearly that we are in the family of God as adopted sons of daughters, that, that we have an Abba Father. We, we have, um, we've been adopted, and, and not in the sense that we're redheaded stepchildren, but we are wholly loved, that we are, we are intimately desired. The word Abba is a personal term of affection. There's no real English translation uh, for us. Um, there's some argument among, among scholars, of which I am not, uh, but among scholars, there's a disagreement as to where this term really comes from. Some would say that there's, a, there's references to, to the word Abba and the idea of Abba in some ancient Jewish text. Um, others are pretty staunchly like, no, this is a term that comes straight from Jesus. Um, you know, we don't know. We don't know. There's no English translation, and so, but we do know that it communicates a close, familial, intimate bond. And so maybe the best way that we can kind of translate it is the equivalent of, of daddy. And there's some in the Christian community that would say, gosh, you can't do that because we're talking about Yahweh. We're talking about the Lord of Lords, and you really can't call him daddy. Um, I think we can. Uh, I don't know, but you know, when I come home in the evening and my daughter greets me at the door and she's eight and she still calls me dada, uh, I think not only does it warm my heart, but I think it's respectful uh, as well. And so I don't see how those things kind of are not uh, related. I think it's entirely okay and legitimate. I think that's what Scripture is trying to tell us here is that we've been adopted and we have this close, uh, intimate relationship and we can cry out and say, Abba, Father, I'm hurting. I'm fearful. Um, Come alongside me. See me through. Give me courage to overcome. And so I want us to see today, I hope you've seen that, that the consistency across Scripture, it seems to point that, that, the, that the, the best way to overcome fear is not really found in the hearts and minds of men and women, but it's in who God is. It's in His character, and it's what He does. It seems like every time that there's a godly call to be courageous or, or an idea of to, to fear not, God in essence is saying, know me better. I'm there for you, my strength will prevail, I'm in control, and I hear you. We have a God that tells us those things. And so this morning I ask you the question, what, do you want to, what are you fearful of? Um, what do you need to fear when you understand that we worship a God like that and that we belong to the greatest family uh, ever known? Amen? Amen. Pray with me. Lord God, I thank you for this morning. Lord, I thank you that you are uh, as great and mighty as you are. Lord, that we can cry out to you and pour out our souls and say, God, I'm, I'm scared. God, I'm fearful. And Lord, in that same moment, you kind of tell us, you know what? I, I understand your fear. And Lord, I'm, and Lord, you tell us that you know, you're willing to come as, alongside, that you can put an arm around us and Lord, that you can lead us through the crazy chaos of fear. And so Lord, we want to come trust you more. Lord, we want to, to know you more, more deeply and more succinctly, Lord, so that when fears 
uh, come before us again, Lord, we might cling to you and, and cry out to you more righteously. And so, Lord, we love you. We thank you here this morning for this time in your name. Amen.